Uh, I'm Susan Post, and I'm the uh, Executive Director of Esperanza Health Center in Philadelphia, um, Pennsylvania. Uh, I, so I uh, have lived in my community that we serve in North Philadelphia for 13 years. And I'm not quite sure why they asked me to do this particular, um, this particular topic, but I think it's because I live in North Philly. And as part of living with North Philly um, comes a lot of um, being around people who are suffering. And I, um, I live in the community. There's a lot of um, violence and uh, um, difficulties that happen for, the, for my neighbors, and I participate kind of in their lives in that way. Uh, also at Esperanza Health Center, we're medical care, so, you know, we're concerned about the suffering. And then I attend church in our community, and our church is um, interested in uh, caring for our people um, locally. And so for those three reasons, um, I'm engaged in um, the suffering of others. I'm an administrator. I'm not a professional. So um, as I was starting to think about this topic, I thought, wow, you know, the psychologists and the and the counselors, they all know more about this topic than I do. So I'm just talking to you um, definitely from a layperson's perspective. Um, <clears throat> but I have found that um, it's extremely important, especially through the years, if you experience um, or enter into suffering um, with different people, it's very easy to lo- lose your focus and lose your own um, uh, spiritual health. And so uh, as much as I work uh, at caring for people that are suffering, I try to work as hard as I can at um, at my own spiritual health. It reminded me when we were on the airplane on the way down here, you know, they, I'm sure we all heard this, whoever's on airplanes, that if you need your oxygen mask, you know, put yours on before you help someone else. And I think in my early years um, of living in the community, I really didn't understand that and, you know, kind of caused a little bit of um, uh, spiritual trouble for me um, that I think I have a few things that maybe would be helpful uh, to others. But let me um, just start us off in a word of prayer here. Father, um, thank you for everyone that's gathered here. Thank you for how you know each of them personally. And um, you know why they came to this um, particular session, whether they're experiencing their own suffering or they have suffering in their family or in their communities or, or for what reason, Lord. We thank you that you're so intimate with us and that you want to speak to us at this conference at each session. And so I ask you, we invite you in here, Holy Spirit. We ask you to uh, speak to each of us, um, whether they're things I say, um, whether they're just things you want to say, Lord. Um, we ask and invite you in. We thank you that you are the God who is so compassionate in every way. And you're compassionate to those we care about. You're compassionate to us. And so, Lord, we want to gain your heart, and we ask you to show us those things, um, even while we meet this morning. Um, Lord, please have your way with us, um, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, this just shows a couple pictures of um, my community. Um, Actually, this is not my neighborhood. These are the two uh, communities that we have, two of our three um, health centers sites. So um, it's a community that we all live very, very close together. Um, I live in a row house, and it's, you know, a little bit like one of those. And um, uh, there's a lot of beautiful things about all living together. Um, you get to know everybody's kids. It's just kind of a party all the time. Um, but there's a lot of difficult things. This is the L train in um, in Philadelphia. They say it's hell under the L. And under the L, it's a little bit like Kind of in, in probably every um, city, there's just places where um, tra- transient people come, uh, a lot of um, uh, behavioral health problems, um, mental health issues, a lot of um, 
uh, drug uh, dealings and abuse and that sort of thing uh, going on under the L. Um, a lot of need for uh, the Lord, so we love being at the L um, at Esperanza Health Center. It's just the right place for us. So I, c- I came to Philadelphia about 13 years ago, and um, actually in 2000, and uh, God, I feel like God called me uh, to live there. And it was a strange calling because it was not a calling about what I was going to do there. It was just a calling to live there. And that was when I was graduating from seminary. And so um, uh, in that last couple of months, um, I had purchased a house, but I hadn't moved in it, into it yet. And while I was um, at the seminary, um, these, uh, this couple came in. Um, I was working in the registrar's office. And this couple came in, and um, they are a family that I knew when I was a kid, up in, when I did have my growing up in Erie, and they were in our church. And they told me that their daughter had moved to Philadelphia and that she had married, I guess, a, the son of one of our professors. And I had not known, not known that she was in Philly, and they told me that she was very sick with a brain tumor and would I be willing to go visit her. And she wasn't exactly my friend. I, she, I, her brother was my agent, but, you know, the whole family, we, we all knew each other. I said, sure, I, I, I'm glad to know that she's here and I'll go visit her. And I went to visit her, and um, she had two children, and it was apparent she was extremely sick. I didn't really realize that, I think, before I went. Um, and she had two children. They came in, eight and ten, a girl and a boy. They obviously loved her very much and her husband. And, you know, I... I realized when I was with her that she was not going to be with us very long. And, um, you know, she asked me if I'd come back and visit her again. And I said, of course I will. You know, she said she was a little lonely because she was in this bed in her house. I said, of course I will um, come in and uh, visit you again. And I said goodbye. And as I left and I was in my car, I was thinking just about, wow, this is a very, very serious situation. And um, I, you know, I was just sort of a little bit shocked and stunned by walking into that. And um, my next stop that day was to go down to North Philly and meet the inspector of my new house. They were inspecting the house to see if there's anything wrong with it. That's kind of a joke because <laughs> the list was so long, you know. Like, but it's good to know, I guess, what all's wrong with it. But so I was, I was driving down from her house down to Philly, and you know, kind of contemplating all these things. And um, when I was thinking about her, even though she's a friend of my family, I mean, she, her family was friends with mine. There was just this brief moment where I thought. I don't really want to get involved with her because it's going to hurt. Like a picture of my, you know, somebody that's sick, go visiting them, that's one thing. But then I realized um, this is going to hurt because I'm going to, I just started to get to know her children and I met her husband and now it's a, a real family. It's not, it's not just an um, academic thing. It's a, it's, a, it's a human being and a person. And I think um, when I was driving down to Philly and seeing some of these, um, some of these uh, streets, uh, the, the thought came to my mind, I think God impressed upon me, that, um, that I'm going to have that same feeling, that bit of a hesitation um, at times, um, because I'm going to have to suffer if I engage in North Philly. I don't know if you've ever had that feeling where, like, you could go there or you could maybe not go there. And I think one of the worst things in healthcare is to decide you're not going to go there, to tell you the truth. I think, um, actually, I think that's true for all, <laughs> all Christians. I think God calls us to go there. And I think part of the reason... This part of the city looks like that is because Christians and churches aren't going there. Um, we're thinking it's a little more convenient to just not go there. Um, actually, yesterday we did a session, and somebody asked about the danger, and I feel like I missed the opportunity. They said, well, if we go there, you know, we'll be dangerous, you know. And um, the opportunity I missed is to say it's dangerous 
and there's children here, and we are, we're, we're walking away. We're kind of turning our backs. We're kind of saying, well, it's a little bit ugly for me to have to go there or me to have to look at that. So God's call to compassion is, is not to look the other way, which we'll kind of see. So that's a little bit of my heart and kind of how, um, how God's been um, speaking to me. Um, I think at the time I was driving in, I, I, it was impressive upon me, and this is something I think about probably every week, is I have to pray that God would give me more compassion to, and more, um, more capacity to love. Because I realized with my friend Sarah, and as I was facing, you know, going in, in, into um, Philadelphia, I don't have what it takes to do this. I don't have what it takes to love that much. I am not there, you know. And I say that 13 years later. But God will give us. Um, that capacity to love. And that's what he wants us to ask him for, I believe. So we're going to talk about kind of walking along suffering people and having compassion. And then we're going to talk about how to keep our spiritual health while we're doing that. But let's start with just God's call to compassion. Um, the word compassion, you probably know, but maybe not. Um, it means um, to walk alongside, to come to suffer with another person. Pati, I think, has to do with Suffer and come has to do with alongside. So um, we are called to walk alongside um, those who are suffering. God calls us to do that. Um, Luke 6.36 says, be merciful as I am merciful. And um, some uh, translations say, be compassionate as I am compassionate. So um, just want to look for a minute here and through scripture about, you know, the compassionate God that we have. In some ways, I'd say if God had a middle name, he might, it might be compassion. Um, uh, looking in Exodus, um, when God is getting to know Moses and they're having a, um, a relationship, um, there's a lot in the Bible about names and how important names are. And so um, God and Moses are talking, and God, Moses has just asked God, will you please make sure you go with us? If you don't go with us, we're not going to go out. And God was in a kind of a mad state with them because of the um, golden calf incident. But um, the Lord, in Exodus 33, it says, The Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you've asked, because I'm pleased with you, and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So when God's trying to say to Moses, This is who I am, he says, I'm compassion. <laughs> That's, and in the next verse, when he does come by and shows his glory, he, the Lord come down from the cloud and stood with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. He passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love, and, love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. So um, we see that um, we that God wants us to think of him as a compassionate God. Um, again, when I think of my, um, my time with Sarah, I, I flinch. I flinch sometimes at um, having to be compassionate. And in that case, I flinched because I felt um, it was going to cost me something. But sometimes we flinch because um, we don't think the person in front of us um, is deserving of compassion. And uh, that's very... Uh, I want to say that's very terrible that Christians are doing that, and, I, and it is very terrible, but I do it too. And um, I think when we start to just think that everybody else is doing that, um, figuring out somebody else who deserves compassion but not 
you know, this person, or seeing that we don't like somebody else's view of who is deserving. I think we need to just keep looking at what what our hearts are saying and who we're not um, uh, allowing to have compassion. Um, so here's God's pattern of uh, compassion, which I think is a good um, pattern for us to have. Um, I picked one place, but this uh, pattern of compassion you'll see about um, 30 times, I think, in, uh, in the Old Testament, at least um, as I was looking through. Um, Exodus 2, 23 through 25. During the long period, the king of Egypt died. Uh, the Israel's, Israelites groaned in their slavery, and they cried out. And their cry for help, because of their slavery, went up to God. God heard their groaning. He remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God looked on the Israelites, and he was concerned for them. So, that's the pattern of compassion he lays out for us. He, he looks and he hears whenever there's cries that go up to him. He's, he's, his, he's bent toward his listening to people. Um, he remembers his covenant. He remembers who he is. He remembers that he's the God can, that can do something about this. He's the God that rescues. He remembers his covenant that he's made with his people. Um, he looks on the Israelites and he's concerned about them. And I've heard some people talk about concern being that, you know, that, that feeling that you have in your bowels of, um, of really being moved because of somebody else's um, situation. Um, I think these are, um, this pattern of looking and seeing, it's, I think where compassion stops for us is when we decide, I'm not looking that way. I'm just not going to pay attention to that person. Um, I'm not going to look at North Philly and see that there's children that are being killed um, every day. I'm going to just kind of make sure my life is sort of set. Um, when we see Jesus um, coming along, he, he's doing the exact same pattern. Um, this first verse is sort of when Jesus came and sort and inaugurated his, um, the kingdom of God on earth, he um, goes into a temple and he reads the scripture from, um, this is in Luke right now, but if, uh, Isaiah, Isaiah, um, Old Testament scripture. Um, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, set the oppressed free, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus' first thing when he comes down from being tempted and his ministry is the beginning is he remembers the, th- the reason he's there. He remembers God's covenant. Uh, God says he's going to send somebody to proclaim good news to the poor. He's anointed um, his son uh, to do this. And then in Matthew 9, again, you'll see this verse a lot um, throughout the uh, Gospels. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. I'm going to stop right there. I just want to say that, again, seeing how the, um, the Gospel and, the, um, and healing are just tied together throughout the entire New Testament is really Amazing, and Jesus was always doing that. He was always healing and, pre- and preaching. And so I, think, I feel like that uh, has something to say to us as we're thinking of compassion ministries. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. So he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. This um, verse sort of pulls together that 
uh, we have a compassionate God, Old Testament. We have a compassionate Savior, New Testament. We are God's people. We are the workers in his harvest. So he's calling us to have the same compassion and compassion that he has. Um, if you looked at Jesus' life, you see that he, he stops to talk to people. He sees, um, he sees the blind men that are walking along the, the road. He, um, he stops when he's touched by the woman um, who is touching his garment. He, he heals and forgives a paralytic. He, he's always uh, looking at more of the total person than the uh, uh, item that somebody's presenting themselves to him. Um, he's a compassionate God. So he calls us to compassion. Um, and I think he calls us to radical uh, compassion. Uh, this verse in Galatians, I think we always um, think of the first part of this, but maybe not the whole thing. Uh, Galatians 6, 2 through 4, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. When, then, they can take pride in themse- then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to other, everyone else kind of put that in because, again, this, this whole idea of, um, I think we want to carry each other's burdens when the, they're our family members, right? And I, and I think we want to carry the burdens of our best friends. But are we really thinking that God's calling us to carry the burdens um, of many others outside of um, our, friend, our friendships that we have in our family? Um, is, I just you know, want to stop and pause and just think in, in your own world right now, in your own life, what what suffering people has God put anywhere in your path? And then who's not in your path because you don't walk the path of suffering that um, God is needing? And not, he, need, he doesn't need us, but he's calling us uh, to be walking and to be the hands and feet um, of Christ. So, um, again, I, I have um, over the years sort of seen, um, I, I fly a lot, and it seems like whenever I'm flying, people ask me what I do and where I live, sort of, turns into a discussion about communities um, in need like mine. And it's been very um, hard for me uh, to see how many people want to argue um, <laughs> argue about taking care of people in our community and um, how often the very first response is something about, um, you know, the people in the community not having their act together, uh, the parents of the kids, you know, uh, don't have their act together. It's just... Um, there's sort of, I think, a built-up wall, and I'd say even amongst us believers in Jesus, that um, doesn't, um, that wants to make a distinction between who is deserving and who's not deserving um, of our compassion. And, and, I, and um, while um, the person sitting next to me is thinking um, that the person I'm serving isn't, isn't deserving, I find myself thinking that person's not deserving of sitting next to me. And I have to be very careful about that because God is compassionate for the person that's heart is uh, harsh or um, uh, the person that's got a lot of um, uh, difficulties in their life and weakness. And, you know, I guess it's partially because I've, I've been living in this community so long and I love it so much and I see so many amazing people there that it's hard for me to see uh, sometimes a whole community written off um, by uh, a person who's not looking. Uh, not, not, not caring in the way that Christ cared for our community. Um, so um, here's another picture of God's compassion. And I, I don't know if you remember who Hagar is in the, um, in the Old Testament. But Hagar is the, um, the slave of Abraham. And, and she's the one that um, uh, Abraham and Sarah, they weren't, gonna ha- they weren't having the child, the, the promise that, that they expected. And so 
um, Sarah suggested to Abraham that she that he have a child with her slave, um, and and then it gets really messy after that, and and um, Hagar uh, despises uh, Sarah. It gets you know ugly in the family, and and Sarah sends um, Hagar away. Um, so Sarah and Isaac are um, there are all all they are all part of God's promise. Um, God promised that Abraham and Sarah would have Abraham would have a child, and the child would be through Sarah. Um, that's the promise that that God promised. And then we did a human way. They did a human way with and Hagar involved and um, Ishmael, her son. So let's just see. Again, I think um, even today with the way we uh, think of Muslims and and everything in the Middle East, I, I feel like we we think of we're the people of the promise, and there's others. And it can, be a, it can be a variety of different kind of others. It could be the others in my community. They're not the people of the promise. And um, I think that distinction is something God does not make at all when it comes to having compassion. So um, Genesis 16, she said to, she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar, and she said to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived, and, and she knew she was preg- when she knew she was pregnant, she began to s- despise her mistress. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar, and she fled from her. Now, if um, that had happened to me, um, I would probably be very happy that the person left. <laughs> um, I'd be kind of like, phew, we avoided a problem. You know, where, um, the person that was despising me um, has left. Um, and we would probably leave it at that, but... Um, God doesn't leave it at that, fortunately. Um, Genesis 16 says, The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. Again, he found Hagar, meaning God was looking for Hagar. And then the angel of the Lord told her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall call him Ishmael which is God hears, for the Lord has heard of your misery. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke, yeah, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me, she said. I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Be'er Lahai Roi. So, um, God is always giving names, and he, and he sees her, and she names her son the God who hears. And then she calls him, you're the God who sees me. And the, I mean, we're all Hagar's, really. I mean, you might think you're, and you could say you're the child of the promise, which is also true. But wherever, uh, however you count yourself, uh, we have a God who sees us, and a God who's um, uh, attentive to our misery. And I just feel like Again, we need to uh, think of this pattern, keep watching, and think of the Hagars in our lives as well. So God walked, um, asks us to walk alongside um, those who are um, suffering. Um, I just wanted to say, too, this, that this calling is um, uh, its a hard calling to have, but it's also a gift um, to us. Uh, God, God has a mysterious way of doing things, and he... He blends um, suffering and joy together at, at every turn. And so um, as long as I've walked in my community, as long as I've um, tried to be alongside my neighbors, um, I've never felt less than God totally fulfilling 
um, his gift to me in these things. So this is my life verse since I've moved to my community. Um, I want to know Christ and the power of his suffering, the power of his resurrection, participating in his sufferings. This is a verse I don't normally um, read. Becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So I think my calling um, particularly is um, to participate in the suffering of Christ. I feel like it's all our callings. Um, It's one that's been really in front of me in the last 13 years as I live in my community. But this calling is to to share in Christ's sufferings. And to do that, we need to be looking, hearing, being concerned, remembering the gospel. Um, And from that comes the power of the resurrection, and I still can't fully explain it. Someday I hope I can, and then I'll do a, try and do a workshop on it. But um, I don't understand how I see the power of the resurrection, but I'll tell you it's definitely true. That participating in sufferings just, just focuses on eventually, um, not right maybe at the moment, on who Christ is. And, and it's a gift. It's a gift to be able to love like Christ loves. It's a gift to be able to walk alongside somebody um, who's um, suffering. And so this is how I know Christ. This is how we know Christ. And so uh, when we walk away from it, I, I feel sad sometimes when people walk away from suffering because you're missing a, a moment to get to know um, your Savior and the one who's um, died for you. So um, we need to look and see and be concerned for those um, who, who are suffering. Um, I'm whipping through a lot of these verses just to kind of uh, give you this feel for what Scripture is saying and then uh, who God is. So, unfortunately, um, you know, it's, it's a bit, it can be costly uh, to, to come, along some, come alongside somebody in um, compassion. Um, John 12 says uh, Jesus um, paid the ultimate price for, um, the suffer- to have compassion for us in suffering. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. It still really moves me to read that scripture, to think um, that uh, God was saying this about his suffering on Susan Post's behalf. Um, he, uh, I can feel Jesus' uh, pain there. And I can feel he has a bit of uh, uh, maybe an emotional feel of, want, of hesitation. Um, but he is saying, no, this is why I'm here. I came for this moment, and I want to I w- I glorify your name. And that, that is impossible for me to do. It's impossible for each of us to do. But it's not impossible now that the Holy Spirit dwells in us. It's not impossible to ask God to move us there. He, he wants us to participate in this part of this design of life that he has, which is called us being part um, of uh, his uh, picture of compassion. And so he, Jesus says, no, I will not walk away from this. I will glorify your name. And then lastly, it's, it's an act of obedience. Um, I, 
I think obedience is something that um, usually when we're talking about it these days, it's kind of drawing a line here and a line there. But really, obedience for Jesus and obedience for us is kind of living into um, the design for life that God um, planned for us. And um, it's... Um, it will cost us something. It might not be easy at times, but it's um, who we're meant to be and made to be. And so um, it will um, be a gift to us, and um, I believe that we will find a lot of joy in that. Just quickly uh, to remind us of um, what our Savior did for us. Um, Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken unless I drink it, may your will be done. So we see again um, uh, the difficulty um, Jesus even sensed and felt about what it would take for him to be obedient to the Father. Um, so it's his call of obedience that took him to the cross. It's his call of, call of obedience that brought us life. Um, now it's our call to obedience to live a life um, that follows him. Um, another thing about um, suffering uh, with others is that a lot of times it doesn't make any sense. And I think that's been a bit of the hard part for me is seeing senseless deaths and seeing senseless suffering and uh, not really um, understanding uh, why. And I think God's calls, God calls us, I'm sure God calls us, to walk along the suffering person even when we don't understand why. Why is this happening? Because extending ourselves um, in love to the other person is really does relieve the person's suffering. Um, there's just two quick things in my life that have been um, hard where I don't understand why. And uh, one of them is my, um, my father who passed away, as a matter of fact, a year ago today. I was supposed to speak here last year, and uh, I couldn't. I was unable to because um, because he died that morning. Um, but in ten years before he died, he had a stroke, and it was um, the night before stroke. He was um, dancing with his wife. Uh, he's very active, um, total full um, abilities, capability, uh, full life in many ways. And he had the stroke, and um, he lost all his. Uh, um, he lost half side of his body so he couldn't walk and he couldn't um, couldn't do anything with his um, right hand I guess right hand and um, he lost all his um, ability to communicate so he couldn't speak and he couldn't um, he couldn't even like look in a direction where he wanted something because language is even associated with that I'm sure all you medical people understand that more than I do um, I remember um, being at the, uh, the his first ther- uh, speech therapy session and they said um do you have a daughter? I was sitting next to him, and they go, do you have a daughter? And he just shook his head no. He said, are you a girl? And he shook his head and said, yes, uh, because he didn't understand language. So all of a sudden, my father, who could do everything, um, couldn't walk, he couldn't talk, and he couldn't understand 
language. And he couldn't show us. I remember him having, there's a blanket next to him, and he wanted the blanket, but he couldn't even, he didn't even look at the blanket. And, you know, we're going through this, you know, he can't figure out how to tell me he needs a blanket. And I, and I just hug him, and we hug each other, and it's like, that's pathetic. We don't know what we're talking about together. And I put my hand on the blanket, and he jumps up. And then I put the blanket on him, and he just goes, so my father, um, right after the stroke, it was, a, it was the most severe stroke that his doctor had ever seen. And he said he's probably not going to live um, uh, very long. He'll probably have another stroke. Um, so two months into it, um, you know, it's just if, if you can imagine someone you love very much right now who's totally capable being in that situation, I just I couldn't handle the idea of him suffering like that. And um, eventually... Um, and he didn't die. Obviously, he lived 10 years later. But I didn't know what was going to happen at that point. And after two months, he just looked totally, it just looked pathetic, and he was suffering. And I just, I started praying that my father would die. I said, God, this is just too much for him, and maybe it's too much for me, but I prayed that my father would die. And uh, I prayed for a while for that, um, and I tried to take, you know, care of of him. He lives in San Antonio, so I flew down every three or four weeks to sit by his side. And after I prayed that prayer, a, minister, um, a missionary came to my seminary, and he said that the two words you can never say to God um, together are, no, Lord. He talked about Peter often saying, no, Lord, oh, no, no, Lord, we're not going to do it this way, or no, Lord, you won't wash my feet. Um, and he said, you can't say that because you don't know what God's going to do next. Who are, who are you to say what's better to God? And so I remember thinking, I'm doing that with my dad. And so I, I said, no, God, I'm not going to say that now. Uh, I'm going to say yes, Lord. And um, so I say yes to his life and yes to my father living as long as that will be. And, um, and it felt right to say yes to God and that I will walk alongside in suffering as long as it takes. Um, the very next time I went down to see him, uh, he sort of took a t- made a turn, and he was much more alert then and much more capable. And from about that time on, my father started a relationship with me that was very different than we had ever had before. We weren't very close before his stroke. We could touch, we could hold hands, we could look in each other's eyes. That's about all we could do together. Um, I could wheel him around. He could smile. And those things, uh, for the next ten years, I, I was in a love relationship with my father, um, as I experienced uh, his suffering, it was painful for him. It was painful for me to watch him. But God gave us this huge gift. And all, four, all three of my other siblings had the same experience, this experience of wrapping our dad up in love in our lives. And him wrapping us up, it was a two-way thing, even though um, we couldn't talk. So I, I didn't know why suffering was happening, but it was important. The walking through the suffering was a gift to me. And then secondly, in my neighborhood, I've talked about this at a couple of other um, talks along the way, but um, there's just a lot of pain in our, um, in our community and a lot, of, um, a lot of funerals for young people. I think I'd have gone to maybe one or two funerals for young people before I moved in the community. And probably I've been to a dozen kids who have lost their lives before, before 25, maybe a dozen kids on our street. That's a few blocks long. Um, and so it's been painful, and there's a lot of times I really don't understand why. I mean, every time I don't understand why, I have to say. Um, but in the middle of this walking alongside uh, my neighbors and, and going to these funerals and, 
and, and being with the families, um, yet another time when we feel like we can't do it. When I see the same kids at the funeral as participants in the funeral with me at all these funerals, and you just think, how can that kid handle this if I can't handle this? Um, but somewhere in the midst of this, I'm watching God at work. And, and so I just, it's a, I, I guess I don't understand it, but I know it's, it's, a, it's a gift that we have. And so if there's an area in your life that God's calling you to walk along sufferer, I just invite you to advance. And if you don't see a place right now, I, I um, invite you to open your eyes. Listen and hear. I know that there's, there's people around who are in need um, of your compassion. So unfortunately... We're in a spiritual war, which maybe is obvious by all the suffering that I've already talked about. We're in the spiritual war. And in a spiritual war, um, it's, uh, it's very easy to get wounded. And so um, it's very important to be as equipped as you can be um, to walk alongside somebody in suffering. And um, one thing I've seen in this time that I'm, I've lived in our community is that um, – uh, the battle can cause us to lose our focus on who God is. We can start to think, this is really terrible, this is really terrible, this is really terrible, um, it's not right. Um, and instead, um, we need to be thinking, what's God doing in this situation? What is his plan right now? What, how do I see Christ? Where's the power of the resurrection here? Um, how can I know who he is? And so I think the thing I've found in, in my um, years in my community is that God has a redemptive plan for the sufferer, and he has a redemptive plan for the person walking alongside um, the person who's suffering. He's doing that in both of us. And so um, we need to both all put ourselves in the, most, in the best position to be able uh, to participate in God's redemptive plan and what he's doing. And so the question is, how do we keep from going down? <laughs> um, uh, I guess there were a couple other slides here I was should have been showing you. Um, so how do we um, keep our spiritual focus? Um, again, I, like I said on the plane, um, it's important to take your own oxygen before you try and help others. And so um, it's important for you to be very careful, very diligent about your spiritual life, very um, uh, not, not let a moment um, kind of, uh, of a break come in, uh, really, uh, in terms of caring uh, for yourself spiritually. Um, you know, it says Satan is like a roaring lion uh, tr- wanting to devour. And I feel like in, if you're really in a war, you need to, you know, sleep with your boots on or whatever they say. You need to, um, you need to be always constantly thinking about this. And, and, and it's very easy if you're focusing on the sufferer to um, lose something in your own spiritual life, and it's, it's pretty dangerous. And at Esperanza, we see this. We see a lot of um, our providers especially new providers, they just start to falter. They want to help. They come with all the good intentions, and they're great, and they're things that God's put in their heart to do. Um, but probably, I'd say for our, all of them, right, we, there's moments of just, I can't do this. And, of course, that's great because um, God wants us to be dependent on him. But, um, but it, can be very, um, it can be hurtful to us. So we need to really work to try and um, keep our spiritual sanity, I guess, so to speak. So. Um, I have a, uh, just four items um, to um, mention. One is um, to stay present. Um, uh, the first thing you would want to do is to say, I'm not going to do this anymore. <laughs> and I, I think there have been a couple of times. There was one time where I was like, you know, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I, I have to leave the community. 
after a particularly violent um, uh, event around me. And I remember talking to my pastor, and, and he was very gentle with me. He said, if, if you have to, um, if you have to, that's okay. You know, he wanted me to be okay. Um, and he wanted me not to feel guilty, not to because we can never really serve God in the midst of um, this sense of obligation that isn't really from him and part of um, what he what he wants of um, in the design that he's built for us. His design is for us to stay, um, but um, there are definitely needs uh, for times of rest. But um, but my pastor said, but why don't you just um, pause and talk to the Lord about that and see if that's what His design for you is. So. It's, it's counterintuitive, but by staying, we do see Christ. And if we go, we won't see Christ in the way that he had in mind. And so my first thing to say, which sounds kind of odd about how to keep your spiritual focus is to stay, but um, I think also for me, I'm having a long-term vision of things, that God's still at work and I'm not going to see it all right now and that I'm going to be here for a while, um, I think is helpful. So stay is my first. And secondly is to remember the gospel. Um, this is pretty um, important. Um, and that's kind of where is your focus. And so focus and remember the gospel. I, um, one of the times that I, um, the time that I was kind of considering leaving, uh, there had been a, a, a shooting outside my house. And, um, and the person was killed. And uh, 911 didn't come. And kids, uh, the th- three or four kids um, actually saw it. And they were like eight and nine years old. And um, it wasn't just the death. It was the nine-year-old calling 911 frantically and, not, and watching somebody die. It was the picture of these kids uh, that you just don't know what tomorrow's going to be like for them. Um, I remember we had a birthday party the next day, a cookout for my roommate. And we're all worried because about them, you know, we're all concerned about them. They had gone to the police station to do their – the police had asked them to give their witness. And um, – you know, I just was like, how are you? You know, try to talk to them. And, of course, they can't talk about it. It's just too big for them to talk about. Um, I just remember they just wanted another hot dog. And I just wanted to give them as many hot dogs um, as they wanted. But, um, but I started to notice in me um, uh, certain changes. And, again, if we have um, mental health people in, the, in this uh, audience, I'm sure they understand these things much better than I do. But I started to have... Um, I started to, uh, well, I'd have times of crying uncontrollably, and I, you know, and I can't stop. I didn't really know why I was crying. Um, I started to get really, um, like, anxious. I was anxious all the time. Um, one thing that particularly still makes me anxious is um, the, the sound of a helicopter, because in my neighborhood, when there's somebody running from the police, they follow, they try and find them with helicopters. And so... Sometimes if something really bad happened, there's just a sound of helicopters hovering, hovering. And, you know, it didn't bother me for the first few years. It was just a helicopter. But now when I hear it, it just, it just totally unnerves me from the inside out because it's like something is wrong. And the kids in my neighborhood know you're supposed to go in when the helicopters are out. Like it's something's wrong with the world like that, right? Um, it's good to acknowledge that there's something wrong. And then um, I just wanted to, um, I wanted just to do things I'm not supposed to do. That's a weird thing, right? But I think that's pretty normal from what um, psychologists tell me. But um, I, want, I felt rebellious. You know, and I'm, I'm leading a ministry. I can't, I can't be doing rebellious things. <laughs> Obviously, I do do rebellious things. But, I mean, I just wanted, I kept thinking of things I just wanted to do. It's just something had to get out in me. 
And then um, I remember driving down Broad Street, um, not in my neighborhood, but in North Philly, and I, I was at a stoplight, and I looked at the car next to me, and I thought that the person was going to shoot me. Um, I thought, there's something wrong with me. <laughs> Something's happening here that's not good. I think I need some help. And so I went to see my friend, um, Diane Langberg. She's a um, psychologist who, um, she's actually pretty well-renowned um, for dealing with trauma, um, most, mostly um, trauma for women, um, internationally, so she goes and speaks all over. I just went to see her, and I said, I, I think I just need to talk a little bit about what's happening because I think something's wrong with me. <laughs> and, um, and I told her, you know, all my symptoms, and, you know, she listened to them. And, um, and I said, I'm, I'm not sure what to do next, but I need some sort of strategy to um, have some sanity here or to figure out what to do because I'm going to be a mess soon. And she said... Um, she said, you need to stay in the community, just like my pastor had said. I wasn't asking her that question, but she said, you need to look at it. Because the problem is, and she says this is with trauma, too, of, like, women who have been um, sexually abused. Um, people don't talk about it, and they don't want to listen about it, right, often. And so it get, the pain of the sufferer gets worse because no one is helping. No one's paying attention. It's all being ignored. And she said, and in your neighborhood, yeah, people are ignoring your neighbors. Um, Christians are not there. And God called you there. So your, your job is to look and to see and to hear the cries of the people in your community. She said, so look at the evil. And that was scary to me to think of looking at evil. She said, look it right in the face. But only for a moment. She said, look it in the face and then take your your sight and look right to your Savior. Look at the evil and then look right at Jesus. And look at your Jesus on the cross. She said, and know that he saw that and he went to that cross for the suffering that you're looking at right now. He went to the cross for this. He sees it. He understands it. He went to the cross. He's redeeming this, even this. It seems impossible to me that he can be redeeming this, but he's redeeming this. And so she said instead of running from it, instead of trying to bundle it in and not think about it that's causing some of these, she said, look at that and then remember the gospel. Remember that Jesus died for this. He's redeeming it. And he wants you to be part of it. That was really helpful for me. Um, It was helpful for me because it gave me hope. It gave me hope that Christ is listening and Christ is seeing and that he cares about me. He cares about the part that's making me shaky right now. Um, uh, she said, just, uh, yeah, remember the love he has. Remember to uh, see the, um, just the sweetness of his compassionate care and concern for your community. Thirdly, and we're um, nearing the end here, um, he says, share, um, I think it's important to share with others. I mean, that's another thing. When you're trying to do this alone, um, you will be totally overwhelmed. But this is one of the beautiful things um, for me at Esperanza Health Center is that we have, um, we have time every day uh, in devotions where we um, share together uh, anything we want to about who, who God is. We have 20 minutes led by a different staff person at each site uh, every day. And um, we just talk about these things. Um, sometimes we pray about them. Some, we tell stories. We, and when, when you're telling your story to your colleagues who all know what you're talking about um, and all are trusting in the God that you're trusting in, it's very, very powerful. 
And maybe you don't have devotions that you're, uh, maybe you're not even at a health center. Maybe you don't, but you have friends. You, you need to be talking. You need to be praying with. You need to be expressing it. You need to be sharing it. And the thing we see at Esperanza is that we just, we leave those devotions so amazed at who God is. We're not de- discouraged. We're not depressed. We're, and we're carrying each other's burdens. And we're, and we're, we're speaking life into one another by bringing up the gospel. So it's really, really important to share with others. Don't do it on your own. And if you're starting to feel shaky, get, you know, talk to people. I didn't keep going to see Diane. I just needed her to, you know, to tell me some things that were helpful for me um, to, to do with others. Um, and then lastly, I think this is um, maybe the most important, is, um, is to worship. And so when I told Diane that I was cutting corners on things, I said, I, felt like, I feel like cutting corners. I don't want to do things totally. <laughs> this is so, like, unlike me. That's how I knew there was something wrong with me because I'm kind of, you know, compulsive. <laughs> and so for me to want to cut corners and not do things, leave things half undone, was, was a sign that was something was wrong. And she said, you know, yeah, you, you might need rest. You might not need, you, you might need to not do it totally. You might need to let some things go. You might need to leave some things undone because you're in a, in a state right now. Something serious just happened to you. It's okay. You don't have to do it all. She goes, you can cut corners, some corners in your life. It's okay to cut them. And this is a time to cut them. She said, you know, one thing you cannot cut, do not cut worship. Do not cut a corner on worship. If there's only one thing you do in your day, uh, make it worship. Start your day or end your day or do the middle of your day, whatever. Um, With your eyes set on the one who's so beautiful, the one who isn't broken, the one who is full of love, the one that's not going to let you down. And I remember, in, um, and she, she suggested go, go for walks, go out and get out. I mean, right now, you know, if I could have this picture outside my window in North Philly, um, that would probably be enough to do me uh, for all of eternity. Um, but all there is is concrete. And I remember um, back then um, I drove to work uh, about two miles. And I remember driving, and, you know, there's just concrete everywhere. And to me, that's really not beautiful. Um, but uh, it was a gray sky that day. And I remember just thinking, wow, that sky is immense. <laughs> it's an immense sky, and it's a sky that God, you made. You're immense. And, and I worshipped with the gray, ugly sky, but it wasn't that ugly. But, um, uh, but I found ways, and, and as I practiced that, um, it, was, it was very helpful for me to see that there are ways uh, to worship and, um, in all, at all times um, in, our, in our world. And so the reason that's important is because it reminds us that this is not the total picture. What, what, what we see and being willing to walk alongside is very important, but the total picture is the one uh, who made us, our creator, the one who saves us, the one who redeems us, the one who's making all things right. And being, even remembering that he's making all things right is very important. So I see I'm kind of getting um, going over here a minute or two. So let me, just, um, let me just set us in just a moment of prayer, maybe a moment of worship, um, I'd like to pray for you. Um, I'd like to pray for what we just talked about. And let's just have a slight quiet moment of quietness before we go about the rest of our day and, and, and invite God to speak in, into our lives right now. So I'm going to read just one thing quickly, and then, I'll, and then I'll pray. This is what Henry Nouwen writes about um, compassion. Here we see what compassion means. It's not a bending toward the underprivileged from a privileged position, It's not a reaching out from on high to those who are less fortunate below. It's not a gesture of sympathy or pity 
for those who fail to make it in the upward pull. On the contrary, compassion means going directly to those people and places where suffering is most acute and building a home there. God's compassion is total, absolute, unconditional, and without reservation. It's the compassion of the one who keeps going to the most forgotten corners of the world and who cannot rest as long as he knows that there are still human beings with tears in their eyes. It is the compassion of a God who does not merely act as a servant, but whose very servanthood is a direct expression of his divinity. Father, we, we want to just come to you right now grateful to you, grateful that compassion is your middle name, grateful that when we cry out, when we are, um, when we are misery, Lord, you hear um, the cries of your people. Um, we thank you, Lord, that uh, your compassion never stops. You never walk away. You don't ever stop looking at us. You don't take your eyes off your people. And I thank you, Lord, that in North Philadelphia there isn't one house that your eye is not on. There isn't one child that you don't see and uh, love and that you don't. There's no barrier um, for you with that child. Um, they can find you alone in their house with the Holy Spirit. Lord, um, would you help us? Uh, would you help us to know you, to find you, to be prepared to walk alongside um, those who are suffering. Father, um, I just ask that you would you would help us. Uh, Lord, um, could we put in front of our minds, each of us right now, before you, um, a suffering one? A picture of someone we love and know who's particularly suffering. Uh, a people that are suffering. a nation that might be suffering. Lord, we place them before you. We want to respect them and the suffering, the the load that they're carrying. We thank you, God, that that person, those people, that nation, is cared for by you. Lord, we want to enter in with them in their suffering. We ask you, Lord, to touch our hearts. Help us not, even in our own hearts, to look the other way. Place the burden of their, uh, that they're carrying on us, Lord. Help us to carry their burden with them. Lord, we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, right now, that person, those people, that nation would be comforted. We pray for your people that are in those places, we pray for us. Give us your heart, God. Give us capacity to love. Show us where you might want one more step to be taken by us. One first step, maybe. One follow-up step. One additional place you want us to go. Father, if we're afraid of this, I pray if there's anyone right now that is fearful of that, Lord, I just ask that you would hold their hand. You would be reassuring. You would give them the joy of their salvation so that they might be confident in you. Where you're going, what you're doing, where you're taking them. 
Lord, I want to pray that for this, those that are walking alongside people that are suffering that might be wounded right now, maybe even in this room, where it's been hard to care for the suffering person, maybe where um, there's signs of things aren't okay, signs that we don't, sure, we're not totally sure about the gospel, maybe. Lord, I pray for that person, particularly if they're in this room right now, Lord, would you pick them up? Would you bring others around them? Would you call them to stay? Would you show them that they can know you even more, um, that we can know you even more by staying in that situation with a suffering person? Father, we want to see your face. We want to worship you. Lord, even as we go about the rest of this day, we will be worshiping you. Give us a picture of your face. Remind us of who you are. Thank you, Lord, for the cross. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you that you died to redeem all these situations. There is nothing too big for you. There's no place that you won't go. And you will take care and use us, even us, weak, 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 us. Thank you for that privilege, Lord. We just invite you into our lives. We ask that you would meet us. Um, Meet the suffering one, Lord. Meet the person that we have on our mind, the people, the nation. We pray for all these things, Lord, in the glorious name of Jesus. Amen.